Welcome, I'm Rabbi Shmuel Skaist. And I'm Rabbi Avram Kivilevich. Today's topic is very current. Uh, we, we live in a, a world that has a certain uh, dissonance to it, in that we still believe that we have private lives. And we still believe that uh, the things that we do are not necessarily noticeable by the entire world. Um, and that's not really the case anymore. We live in a world where everyone is watching. The paradigm used to be that the creator watches every move. And there was a certain fear that came along with that. And I think uh, it's interesting recent history that that has dissipated tremendously. Uh, the fear that, it, the, the, that the average person had of the creator punishing them, striking them down with lightning because they did something wrong doesn't really exist even amongst the most religious believers. Uh, it, however, recently uh, has been replaced, or it ought to be replaced, with a fear that perhaps is just as strong and just as important in terms of how we behave, and that is the fear that people are watching. Well, as Rabbi Yochanan Mitzanakai said at the end of his life, he says he wished people would have the same fear of humans as we should have of God. Uh, but you're correct, Rav Shmuel, uh, not just because of finding out that through Snowden and his compatriots that there's an ozen shoma'as on almost everything that's going on and an ayin roa of our tweets and our Facebooks and our internet messages. Um, we see that we are falling and stumbling because we live in that fantasy that you talked about, the fantasy that we are in a private world. And I, and I think that's really, in a sense, allowing the fantasy to be strong comes from a hubris. It comes from a hubris thinking that the world revolves around you and the importance of what you're doing. Uh, that, I believe, more than anything else, is... The secret behind, or the principle behind, the FBI's thing, where we have people, Rabbanim, important people, convinced they were doing the right thing, convinced that what they were doing was the right thing for the world and for the people involved and for themselves. And that, I think, caused them a lack of surety uh, and and carefulness and allowing them to be hoodwinked and to be recorded and played to the point that it led to the sorry spectacle that we saw a couple of weeks ago. Yes, uh, I think that um, there's, uh, uh, before we even address what they did and, and any of the specific issues involved, I think that as a community we struggle with some of these issues in a broader sense. Um, the idea that in Muncie somebody said a statistic recently, I don't know if this was based on a real study or uh, whether it was uh, just simply an observation that, that you can make, but I certainly have noticed this. Um, there are, for example, traffic laws that are routinely flouted by three out of four drivers uh, in Muncie in the, in the religious community. Uh, turn signals routinely ignored or not not even not even indicating simple traffic laws talking on cell phones is rampant 
Um, texting, I, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine if people are talking on cell phones, the chances are that they're texting as well. And these are very serious issues. Uh, recently, just here in, uh, in uh, Newark, there was a woman who was involved in, a, in an accident where the other person uh, died, and she's just, she was just indicted. Uh, vehicular manslaughter for texting for texting, for texting. For texting. Was on the car. yes yeah and again that's i don't think a, an issue of our community flaunting those laws uh, these are laws that uh when they are passed they obviously are passed for the common good and they are on the books and doing them would be a violation of civil law whether it's included in the principle of dina de malchusadina again in terms of speeding. Every time a person speeds, you can say the same thing. Of course, it's done ultimately for the sake of safety and saving people's lives. And Chacham Avadia, who we spoke about last week, was on record for saying that one should report people who actually drive in a very dangerous manner. And if I agree with you, uh, talking on the phone and texting on the phone, although we all have the Yetz Sahara to be involved in it is clearly something that, that is, is, is quite dangerous to the country. But I think there might be a difference between flaunting those laws, which, granted, are from the U.S., which is a, a Medina of Chesed, and a Medina that we should love and respect, between the law of actually going over the line and engaging in violent, aggressive behavior, which is more than just violating a safeguard. It's actually openly tearing down civility and tearing down normalcy. And this is what the Mishnah Novus says, that uh, because without the Malchus, uh, when people are attacked and physically beaten up, tortured even for a short period and I think that actually is uh, that's quite a bit further than an epidemic of people uh, texting while they're driving I agree, I, I, I didn't mean in any way to uh, equivocate uh, but what I meant to suggest was that perhaps it's coming from the same source there's a, uh, we have every reason to be suspect of civil law, we've been tortured and and uh, persecuted by civil law for the last couple of thousand years, and perhaps as a people, we're having a hard time recognizing that in America, civil law is not actually pitched against uh, any particular group, and um, I think that if that's, uh, I, I, I agree also that there are many people in society who talk on phones and who don't use turn signals, and I didn't mean to say that it's only religious Jewish people that... Uh, that, that don't do these things or that don't keep the law in this case. But what I mean to say is that, you know, in our community, we have a particular problem with it because for a long time, the only way to survive was to flout the law. There was, there was no other way. And so... Right. I, I in believe, Europe, there was the bunker mentality uh, and paying off the parrots yes. and escaping the czar and doing whatever it took to keep the yeshivas open or to keep people keep out of the draft or whatever yes, it was. Yes. When you had the, the continists or whatever it was... Clearly, that was not a Medina Shulchesed, but I think in order to really not just pay lip service to being a good citizen, we have to be exemplars of great citizenship, even when Nixons and Sharp Jameses and other people are 
Petraeus, whoever it was that uh, is found uh, uh, giving gifts and spilling secrets or uh, extorting, we, as the Amanivchar, not just an Akkar Satov to America, like Rav Moshe said about being a good citizen and voting, in terms of leading morally, not just to show that we care about the U.S., in terms of leading morally, we have to show that we believe in those principles and those ideals that form the bedrock of our country. And part of that is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that would be the liberty of of each individual. Uh, I think that this is not to say that the individuals that these rabbis have been involved with not the phony individuals of the FBI's thing, who didn't really exist, but the ones that they had been involved with were individuals that didn't need some sort of pressure. Because, as we know, both of us as rabbis, and, and unfortunately with our friends and neighbors, that husbands, orthodox husbands, have been taking advantage of religious marriage laws, uh, and they've been oppressing their wives. Uh, they are doing terrible things, and really uh, engaged in reprehensible behavior in terms of keeping their wives chained. It's it's a very big issue. I actually, um, I, I received a letter right before Shoshana. Um, I didn't get a chance to show you this before. I don't mean to spring always, a surprise at you. Always <laughs> have a prop. But um, I received a letter. I can't read the whole letter, obviously, but... Um, there's a woman who several years ago uh, contacted me about this issue, the issue of the Agunas. And um, she sent me some books on the subject, and I, uh, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to really answer. First of all, it's, I, I, who am I? I can't make decisions on this. And, and the issues that she raises are legitimate issues. She writes, uh, I am angry and disgusted with you personally for not writing her back at a certain point. At a certain point, I didn't feel I could answer, and I didn't write back. You claim... This is... She's, <laughs> Tell her that, this, that, that, that there's a big list of... <laughs> a big list of people who are angry at me? Or? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, a big list of rabbis who are, like, above me. I mean, right. or, uh, clearly, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, maybe she... Maybe, uh, listen, she's writing from the heart, and she's clearly in a lot of pain. And she says... Um, you know, why are you doing a lot of the things that you're doing? You're trying to get young people to be educated uh, back to Judaism. And she says, uh, can you not see that within Orthodoxy there are serious problems with the marriage laws? And um, uh, she says, uh, you know, you're... you're uh, she's, she's taking issue with the fact that I'm doing some outreach and bringing people... Why aren't, why aren't why I solving... your energies to something yeah, else? Why am I not solving, solving this, this, this very important issue? And she writes with a lot of anger. And I understand her pain. I, I feel for... I, I feel... And I think I've had this question many times. People out there want to, who know this situation. They want to know why can't the rabbis do something about it? And uh, I, I'm... I'm I, I, you're going to give me an answer to that, and I know I, we've discussed it, we've discussed it in the past, and I just want to make clear that I understand the 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 uh, pain of where these people are coming from, especially if they know somebody who's been in Aguna. Anyone, like someone mentioned in one of the articles that we read in in, in researching this, uh, anyone who has a family member who has suffered in this way has a different perspective 
than people who haven't. Because people who haven't had this personally, it's like it's it's a, something that happens once in a while. How many people could it be, and so on? True, by almost every issue that exactly. you discuss, once it becomes personal, then it somehow shifts your whole approach intellectually as well. Exactly. exactly. I had a cousin who went through it. And uh, it, 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 it definitely was a very, very difficult situation. So the question is a legitimate question. I don't think that the question ought to be demonized as somehow questioning the legitimacy or authority of Yiddishkeit, but rather it should be seen as coming from the very real pain that people out in the world are experiencing because of this, this issue. So how would you answer if somebody comes to you and says, well, wh- why can't the rabbis get together and change this issue, they've changed many other issues. They changed uh, chametz. On, you can sell chametz before Pesach. They can have a you have a prizbul that allows you not to have to return, uh, um, give up on collecting loans for. Right? There are many innovations that have been made in halacha over the years by our chachamim. Why can't the rabbanim get together and solve this issue? Well, I almost got the implication from the letter and from your agreement with the letter that you believe it might be a lack of will and desire. Uh, and I think that that's a mistake. The We spoke about Chochem Avadya last week. He definitely was the exemplar of a feeling and pain. But the Shimush with the Rabbonim that I've had, Dayonim and people that can properly be called Gedolim, has shown me that rabbinic leadership is by and large, extremely sensitive to the pain. But there is a process. The examples that you said, Rabbi Skeis, the, the examples of the Heter Mechira, was done in a very, in part of the term, in a conservative way. It was done in a way where it was limited for that year. It was done because there was a problem that could be solved. And it was clear with the parameters that were set down that it would only be would only proceed with these halachic criteria in place, and that every year they would have to re-examine it. The issue there, of course, would be that Shemitah wouldn't be helped. People wouldn't hold Shemitah anymore, because they would basically sell the land of Eretz Yisrael to uh, the non-Jewish population. It was very, very carefully dealt with. Even when it comes to Mechiras Chometz, it isn't a phony uh, the shtaros are true shtaros, and there's it, it actually sounds right and is right halachically, despite the fact that it sort of overturns the whole idea of destroying your chametz and making sure your house is is, is completely chametz free. And of course, that was also enacted not just to make things easy; it was enacted because the holdings of so many European Jews, especially the Russian Jews, was in the liquor trade, and that was the heart of of their economy. Liquor, of course, was based on, on grain, alcohol, and that couldn't, that was pure comments. When it comes to this issue, the suggestions that have been made are basically two. One of them is that, and this is the main one, is that we should include this type of pernicious behavior as a retroactive action that invalidates the whole Kedushin, using Talmudic language, the Mavata, the Kedushin of Matreya. As if, and of course this is based on the idea that we all know, that whenever a Jewish marriage happens, they say Kedas Moshe of Yisrael. Kedas Moshe, of course, is the Torah. Uh, the Yisrael is 
the Rabbonim throughout the generations who have said that if we don't want this Kedushan to be a Kedushan, we can cancel it. So even though in the beginning it was a good Kedushan, when this behavior surfaces, we'll say, oh, let's go back to your original marriage. Your original marriage uh, was predicated on it proceeding this way. If this happens, we now can retroactively cancel it, and it's like the woman has never been married at all. That's a very powerful device. And the rabbis do mention it in a number of places. But there is a difficulty appending new situations to that, as terrible as they sound, as terrible as abandoning your family, as terrible as uh, uh, not uh, running away and assuming new identities and, and leaving your wife. As terrible as all that is, it's not part of what was mentioned by the Gemara. And being mentioned in the Gemara isn't just conversation. Being mentioned in the Gemara means it's part of what, this is what the Rambam's terms are, is that that's the base medrash of Ravin and Ravashi. When the Rambam in the Hakdoma to, to, to Yada Chazoka says, why do we have to follow the Gemara? He says, because this was the last time we had a real Bezdin. Ravin and Ravashi, those rabbis sitting there wherever they were in Iraq, uh, putting these ideas together, their mind and, and their strength was not just intellectual. It was the Sanhedrin. It was the last Beznagoro that we've ever had. And because of that, what they say is binding. Now we want to add new things to that. That's already difficult. Um, that's something which takes a tremendous amount of power to be able to do. Which is, of course, as we were as we were talking about this topic before we started recording today, that's part of the reason why the rabbis in question of the FBI sting have taken the other approach, basing themselves on the Rambam, uh, that you can actually uh, not cancel the Kedushin Lumafreya, but force people to be good Jews and and beat it out of them. Right. So, so I, I hear everything you're saying, and, and, and uh, certainly um, do not mean, uh, based on this letter or other questions that I've gotten, to to uh, to suggest that the, that the rabbis should do something that they're not able to do within the halachic framework. I think that one of the reasons why these questions are asked so forcefully is because people don't understand the halachic process. And I always try to explain that uh, it is a process that is... It, re- it requires a, a high degree of knowledge, as well as not not only the knowledge of the laws, but the knowledge of the process of how those laws are applied, and the process in, w- in which uh, a based in or a rav is morahara comes up with a, with a psaka halacha is is a um, very specific process, and if these matters fall outside of the purview of of the halachos involved, to, to just say, well, why can't the rabbis do it as, as if the rabbis can just uh, you know, turn around and do whatever they want. Uh, that's a very modern idea, modern way of looking at religion. Religion is all nice and everything, as long as when it's when it's feeling feeling good and spiritual, and it, and it lets you feel like you're having some sort of connection. But when it actually comes down to like some sort of law that actually has real weight to it and that really must be considered carefully, modern people in general have less tolerance for that. They they they, they assume that the law should just be overturned. Just take care of it. And, and, and I didn't mean to suggest that that's what we should do, but my, my question um, is is really a little bit of a different one. And I, I started with the, the, the question about the law, but I'd like to move 
to another question, which is a little bit harder to understand, and that is, well, okay, so we can't change the halacha. But we could change society. We can en- enact takanos that would allow, in effect, uh, this this to be resolved. We can have people sign some sort of prenuptials that are that that make sure that that uh, the right people will get involved. And it doesn't, doesn't, I understand there's some halachic issues about how the prenup is uh, needs to be worded in order to preserve the uh, the halachic validity of the kiddushin. But we could also we could have we can have uh, we get together and figure out a way of having a list. Uh, uh, there's, there's the, the secular world now has a, a sexual predators list that's that's published um, by the authorities. We should have a list that's published by our authorities that says this person shouldn't be given an aliyah. This person shouldn't be uh, allowed into your home. This person should be ostracized because they're using the marriage laws of, of Yiddishkeit in a way that they're not supposed to be well, used. I think. And I've been involved in Dine Torah and been involved with unfortunate situations between husbands and wives. And we have actually made that part of the personal psaac in that case without necessarily relying on a global uh, set of standards. I think every case is different. I think that, uh, use, as you know, when you start talking about uh, the, the sexual predators, and, and I am not condoning them in any way, shape, or form, but we know that there are leveling, there are varying degrees about who we'd let on the street and who we would give a job to, and etc. I, I think the same thing is true. Every situation is not the same, and I think you're right. The but they dinim need to be proactive and they need to be able to, to have some muscle. We are limited, however, in but they dinim uh, about how far we can go, because people are so fluid today; they can move anywhere and go anywhere. And generally, too. I know of many people who, because community pressure was put on in one place, they picked their bags up and they went someplace else. Which is why I'm suggesting we need something more global. Yeah, and, and therefore, and, and you're right, and therefore, and I agree that the Batedinim should have more of a contact with each other. That's something which I believe is getting better. It's something that through trial and error, uh, I think we will probably come up with. However, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't go back to one thing which I think needs to be talked about this whole tragedy, really, on so many levels. Uh, you know, we talked about the title for our program today. We were thinking about the title, Breaking the Chains. Now, there's obviously the chains of our, of, 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 of Egon, and what we can do to break the chains of Egon to allow these women to get remarried. But there's also, of course, the doing it without breaking the chains of the Mesorah, which of course takes us all the way back. And, and, and some of these, Rivka Hout and many other uh, pundits who have been talking about this, I don't think know the richness and the significance of the Mesorah. Sure. I think there's a third aspect of the breaking the chains. And maybe it's not as significant as the other two. But I think it needs to be mentioned, and that is the fact that we are, for better or for worse, and mostly for better, chained, as it were, to the laws of this country. And I would like even my own organization uh, that I'm connected to uh, and others to say something definitively about what has occurred and to state unequivocally that this was beyond the pale and we condemn it. 
We did a search yesterday, and we couldn't find a single Orthodox Jewish organization that had gone on record condemning the fact that the law of the country was broken. And they have gone on record for many, many other important and maybe not such important points. Something should be out there for the Jew or non-Jew in Des Moines or anywhere who sees these articles coming out and look what it says, rabbis, gangsters, sopranos, all these things, and say, well, what, what's the response? The silence is deafening. And I think it, we, if we really believe in what we say, then we have to terribly, if it, it hurts people to make that statement, we have to say it. And I think that's a chain that we can't allow to remain broken that way. We have to solder it back together and say that we, as Orthodox Jews, we're not just trying to win votes, we're not trying to get votes, we condemn this activity and we are against illegal activity and we do believe in the better nature of mankind and especially of the laws of the United States and we can work with them. Uh, I think there would be a way of saying that while still recognizing that we appreciate what these rabbis were trying to do and we don't think that they're hooligans and gang members in the way that the press talks about them, but we disagree and disassociate ourselves with their actions and breaking the law. Not all the time. Absolutely. It's called Talmudic parsing, but it's actually 100% true. That's correct. And again, our sympathies go out really to all the the injured parties here. All the injured parties, yes, absolutely. Okay, this has been Partsufim. I'm Rabbi Shmuel Skeist. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and we hope you'll listen in next time. And watch us next time, actually. Yes, yes this is our, our first video, video podcast. Yes. So, uh, see you next week. Bye.